You are listening to Self Help for Serial Killers, Let Your Creativity Bloom, written by Mari R.R. Campbell-Jack. Long-listed for the Crime Writers Association debut dagger and a finalist in the Amazon Publishing New Voices Award. Self-Help for Serial Killers, Week 5, Part 1, Working with the Media I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Frank Herbert I sat in my kitchen. It was small, but large enough for a round table which seated four people, covered in brightly patterned plastic, which meant it was easier to wipe down and protect the wood. Louise liked beautiful things, She also liked to deprive herself of them. I sipped my tea and leafed through the paper. The kitchen was clean, but its walls were covered in children's finger paintings and its surfaces in various plastic toys. My wife thought me oddly eccentric for still getting a paper when I could access the news much more easily through my phone. Tradition, though. I liked tradition. I thought it was the right way for a family to be. The father reading the paper, catching up on the news, as the rest of the household went about their business and got ready for the day ahead. Plus, phones can be traced. Louise had come downstairs and brushed her hand absentmindedly over my shoulder as she went towards the kettle to turn it on for her own tea. You slept very soundly last night, love, she said. I looked up and smiled. Yes, I always do after exercise better than sleeping tablets any day, I replied. Strange how so many people won't listen to me when I tell them that, though. Well, you're only a nurse, love, I replied, eyebrows up and a smirk around my mouth. I could see that Louise thought this comment ironic. I know. Years of medical education and even doctors won't trust me. Oh, you've poor washer. Thanks. Yeah, I fell when running. Everything's muddy. I'd often thought that my wife was very like our home, which was mainly a reflection of her personality. A little bland. Unexciting. Predictable. Really, it was all... Very medium. It 
wasn't as old-fashioned as our parents' places, no tartan carpets here, but it wasn't sleek and modern. It didn't hold with intra-blue colour schemes and glass and chrome and solid granite tops. It was normal, unassuming. It didn't have anything to say, and that is how a house should be, I thought. It's a tool to live with and in, and nothing else. The elevation of a home to a status object, to an extension of one's personality, or as I often suspect, in lieu of a personality, is really such a narcissistic obsession. I was happy and comfortable with my home that did not stand out, did not need to say anything other than a normal man and his family live here because I didn't want anyone to think anything else. Of course, if I had wanted that, I could have easily had one of those homes, easily. But that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted the slight traditional ever so predictable life on the outside. Louise herself was similar. She was blonde, but not a bright, vivacious blonde whose hair spoke to men about who she was and what she wanted in bed. This was a mid-range blonde, almost yellowish-brown. She wore clothes that she picked up in the supermarket during the weekly shop. She looked nice had some prettiness about her eyes, but there was nothing special or outstanding in either her appearance or her character. She was as middle of the road as I could manage to find, and in that respect, at least, she was perfect. She liked her job, loved her family, was content enough with a few nights out with her friends, a holiday every so often, a historical romance to read in bed. I imagine there were women like her all over the place, unassuming, unthreatening women who were content in their small lives. It made me smile to think about how shocked Louise would be if she knew what I had been doing on my run if she knew that on my way home I had stopped to wank myself off with a hand splattered with Estella's blood, seeing her blood smeared up and down my cock and made it all the more exciting, and I came harder than I had for years. As soon as I got home I put my running clothes in the washing machine, then showered wanking again as the hot water poured all over me, and I tumbled into bed. I gave Louise a kiss. She was engrossed in the latest Philippa Gregory, too busy imagining she was some Plantagenet or Tudor princess caught up in courting intrigues to want to talk much, and then fell straight asleep. I didn't mind having sex with Louise. It served a purpose. It kept her satisfied. It made the children that were my cover and kept her distracted. But it was a perfunctory affair, something that needed to be done. I could be more passionate with her if I imagined she was one of the women I had killed, and with the memory of Estella so fresh in my head, 
I knew I could give her months of passionate sex that would satisfy her enough. She was so exhausted after a day working and looking after children that she wasn't very demanding in that department anyway. Our children, Sally and Greg, came into the kitchen from the living room where they had been watching TV, which was still blaring as they had left the room without turning it off, just like the way they'd shit in the toilet and not flush after. Their blonde hair tousled, their small bodies dressed in the generic school uniform of grey trousers or pinafore and white polo shirt, all bought for about four or five pounds. I looked at them as they spooned their milk-sodden cereal into their mouths and thought that they were perhaps the only human beings that I had some feelings for. It wasn't a large amount of feeling, but more than I had for anyone else. I wasn't that concerned about their day-to-day welfare, that was for Louise to take care of, but I did think about them when they weren't around, and that was different. It didn't appear to be the love that was described in books and songs, films and TV, but maybe it was a kind of love. My children were, after all, not just a cover like Louise, but also a legacy, I suppose. Although I always found it difficult to imagine a world which didn't have me in it. I couldn't quite understand how it could carry on without me, as though nothing had happened. I sometimes try to grasp the idea imagining a universe in which I didn't exist. No matter how I grappled with the concept, I was never able to hold it firm. It always slipped from my fingers. Surely, when I finished, the world would too. Louise was chewing on some toast, still leaning her slim body on the kitchen counter, although I had chosen her for her decidedly average personality. I knew I must have a wife who was slim. A fat wife would not be worth bothering with because I knew the secret that fat women never told anyone else. Why they stayed fat. It wasn't because they had problems with hormones or fat genes. These were lies to stop people finding out their perfidious secrets. They remained fat because they didn't want male sexual attention. Whilst everyone else was prepared to judge them for being lazy and they themselves were prepared to have that aspersion thrust against them, I knew it was because they couldn't stand the constant harassment of men who thought their bodies were theirs to access. The attention was too much for them and rather than passively putting up with it like other women, they took action and made sure it just wouldn't happen to them. They were possibly some of the cleverest women around, hiding near defence in plain sight, and while I could admit the tactic was great, I also knew a clever woman was a dangerous woman and one to stay away from. What's she doing today? Louise asked. Some work for the university, I replied. They might as well just take you on permanently, the amount of work you do for them. I know. 
I have mentioned that to Karen, but she says it's out of her hands, I said. The fact was that Karen had asked me a month before if I'd consider becoming an employee, but I had turned her down. Being a freelancer suited me. It meant I could choose to work whenever I wanted and that I had no one keeping an eye on me. As long as I delivered what was expected on time to budget, no one cared about my office manners or clocking in and out. It was all in my control and up to me. Louise, though, didn't need to know that. I carried on leafing through the paper, not reading the articles, but glancing at the headlines to see if there was any mention of events related to me. It was too soon for there to be talk about Estella. She'd be found soon enough. The water of Leith was a well-used pathway and there were always dog walkers. I'd have at least a day until it hit the papers, then I could start my after-ritual. The ritual had been built up over years. It had changed and evolved as I had, grown up with me as I grew and developed in my artistic maturity. At first it had just been part of a hunger to see what impact my kills had. I followed the press, the speculation, the appeals. It had been more difficult when I was abroad, not being able to read the curved, hanging scripts of Asia, but most countries had at least one English-language paper. In the bigger countries, it was still hard, as murders often only made the headlines when they were sensational, and I had always chosen victims that were unlikely to be missed. Cultures the world over did not value the poor, the addicts, the homeless, the children who had no family. Even peoples that prided themselves on their civilization managed to turn a blind eye to the desecration of their least desirables. Everybody rates their civilization by how it treats those they consider to be worthy and finds it so easy to reject anyone who doesn't fit that mould. It didn't matter where you went, there were always undesirables. I kept memory files for each country. Back home, though, I started files for each murder. Agatha was the first. There were cuttings and more cuttings from the paper. Because of the three days I hadn't left my room after the murder, my file didn't start with the finding of her body. First reported in the Edinburgh Evening News, it started with the arrest of Robert Simpson, who was still in jail for Agatha's murder, as far as I knew. I smiled whenever I thought about Simpson. It's true, you don't always get what you want from the universe, but you do get what you need. I had needed someone else to be blamed for the murder because I was not fully ready to emerge as the true artist I was. Following Simpson's arrest, trial and incarceration, it had given me so much pleasure and confidence, as well as helping me understand the police, the court system and 
that I would probably always be able to outsmart them all. After all, I'd done it before, without even trying. Ever since then, I had collected everything I could on each murder, and as technology had developed, it wasn't just newspaper articles, but websites, blog posts, and podcasts. Everyone was in on the murder game. It was the number one piece of entertainment for people, and I understood it. I really did. When I had time, I liked to go to my office and spend time with the files, leafing through the newspaper reports. I got up and stole a piece of toast which Louise had just spread margarine on. Margarine. Another medium thing, I thought. Oi, you, she shouted. I kissed her. I'll take the kids to school today, I replied. I was in a good mood and feeling relaxed. After all, I thought to myself, my kids deserve to have some time with me. Simpson Appeals Again by Salome Milne, The Daily Scott, 12th of March, 2012. Robert Simpson has again lodged an appeal against his 2002 conviction for the murder of Agatha Dvorak. Simpson, 23 at the time of the murder, has insisted on his innocence since his arrest, and he and his lawyer, Rumana El Alam, have repeatedly claimed that Lothian Police, now Police Scotland, did not properly investigate the murder, but blamed it on Simpson because of a past misdemeanour when he was a teenager. Simpson's appeal hinges on the mysterious blue jacket man, who was seen walking away from the scene of the crime shortly after 23-year-old Agatha was thrown from the Dean Bridge, a notorious suicide spot. El Alam claims there was never any serious attempt to identify Blue Jacket Man, who was seen by several witnesses in the early hours of the 4th September 2001, walking away from the Dean Bridge in a hurry. CCTV images are grainy, but El Alam insists that the police had, in previous murder investigations, tracked down people from images of similar quality, and with the bulk of evidence against Simpson being circumstantial, it is likely that Blue Jacket Man could hold information that is crucial to understanding what happened that night. El Alam also claimed that there was a failure during the trial to call witnesses who may have given evidence attesting to Blue Jacket Man's presence, and therefore cast reasonable doubt on Simpson's guilt. Anonymous sources claim Police Scotland will be resistant to reopening the case unless there is significant new evidence, with several of the officers involved in the original case either in senior positions or retired. Justice campaigners suggest that it will be unlikely they will want to uncover possible failures of previous investigations in order to protect individual reputations and pensions. It's speculated the Crown will focus its case on the unreliability of the witness who described Blue Jacket Man. These witnesses include Fran Lincoln, 
at the time a well-known drug addict and beggar who'd been banned from entering shops on Prince's Street. When this paper tracked Lincoln down, this reporter found that the past 10 years he's been clean from all drugs and alcohol and is currently working as part of the Edinburgh and Lothian Alcohol and Drugs Partnership, assisting others in their recovery. Lincoln declined to speak to this reporter. Confidential reports from prison officers seen by this reporter detailed that Simpson, while disruptive for the first two years of his incarceration, after being attacked by another prisoner and hospitalised, calmed down and turned into a model prisoner under the influence of his lawyer. The Daily Scots View on the Simpson Appeal Justice, like democracy, is not something that happens once, but something that must be performed again and again to exist. There have always been significant questions about how quickly Robert Simpson was arrested. Questions have also hung over the mysterious blue jacket man, with theories put forward over the years, ranging from the truly bizarre to the credible. Significantly, though, there has been no resolution to this part of the mystery, and until one can be found, it is this paper's view that we can never be fully convinced that an innocent man is not in jail because of poor behaviour as a teenager. Fair but for the grace of God, go I. What happened to Agatha Dvorak, a bright and lively girl with a future in front of her, was horrific. It affected not just Agatha's family and friends, but its senselessness shocked the whole of Scotland. A killer who kills a random stranger, and such killers are almost always male, strikes fear into the heart of a community with no one knowing if they or their family are safe. Which is one of the reasons why this paper believes we must get to the truth, either through an appeal by Simpson or through a reopening of the case, which can be viewed with a fresh pair of eyes. This case has polarised parts of Scottish society, with some people adamant that the Simpson case is a miscarriage of justice, while others feel strongly that the conviction is safe and to reopen it would be to cause yet more suffering to the victim's family. We agree that it would be intolerable for Agatha's parents to have to return to Scotland once again, reliving the terrible death of their daughter. For all of us who are parents, it is hard to imagine how they cope with their loss. However, justice must be bigger than any one victim or family if it is to be served. Because of this, if the case is reopened, the Daily Scot pledges to cover travel costs and accommodation for Mr and Mrs Dvorak. 
all of Scotland needs to know if we are safe with Simpson behind bars or if, as many surmise, there is indeed a killer still wandering in our midst. Unfortunately in life, it is all too often those who have already suffered who have to pay again for progress, which is why we call on the Cabinet Secretary for Justice in all urgency to review the case against Simpson and reopen the investigation so we can all know the truth. Full of Canadian whiskey and spite Again 